you find that today you're pulled toward newer, better, bigger things? Is your world driven by getting to the next success, to the next win, to the next upgrade? Do you struggle to find satisfaction, contentment, and consistency? An effort to stay ahead in the game is debt building up around you. Are you out of energy? Are you out of hope? What if you were able to let go of that feeling to strive for? What if you could live in a place of peace, knowing you were taken care of? What if you no longer needed to worry about measuring up? What if living with less is actually living with more? Good morning and uh, Merry Christmas. To all of you, uh, we wanted to intro that this week. Um, that will be the series that we start the new year with, a, a perfect thing following the time of excess, which we're all about to experience and have been a part of really for the last month here in our country. And as a part of this, what we've done um, is as a church, we've actually purchased a book. The series is based on this book called The Same Thing, Too Much, um, and we've purchased a book for every single family in the church. Uh, so Merry Christmas. It's our gift to you. Uh, we just ask that you take one with you whenever you leave. Uh, Don Timberman and myself will be outside passing those out um, as you leave today, so please go ahead and take one. Uh, there's a letter in there that kind of explains a little bit about what we're doing with it, uh, how we'll use it, and what's really cool um, is that the last week of the series, the final Sunday in January, the author of the book will actually be here to close out the series for us. And so that's a, a really cool special treat that we get as a part of, of doing this. And so um, we're going to do something that is not really supposed to happen in the church any longer. It's paper clips. I'm throwing paper clips. Um, and that's this. We're going to ask you um, to be here for four weeks in a row. And so we're going to ask that you be here because this obviously builds on each other each week and things like that. So, so with that being said, um, we're excited to give this year. We're excited to get that started here right after Christmas. First Sunday of January, we'll be diving into this, and uh, we're, we're super excited. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to his hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were where, there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go 
to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Father God, as we remember that event, as we consider all of the people involved, as we consider the miraculous nature of the birth, we consider your incredible plan to save all of humanity, putting into motion at that very moment. May we never lose our wonder for that event and everything that's happened since. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've probably heard that account before, have you not? Just a guess. If not, by chance, you've never heard that, then I pray that that account will indeed change your life the way it should. But the question becomes, after you've heard that account, maybe yet again some would say, are you inspired by it? Are you wrapped up in the moment? Are you there, experiencing the emotions, all of them? Think of this one first. Think of the trips you're going to be making this week, traveling, going places. Imagine a forced trip when you're nine months pregnant, likely walking, probably not riding on the back of a donkey. Think about it, ladies. I don't know who, obviously a guy came up with that thought. Which would be more comfortable, walking or riding on a donkey? Probably walking would be much more comfortable than riding. Think about the emotions. It came at the worst possible time. The frustration when you arrive and you get there and you really truthfully can't find anywhere comfortable to even stay. The pain and the fear associated with childbirth. Those of you that have had your first child know all of those things well. Only many of you experienced them with an epidural. Mary didn't have that. All we know that she had was Joseph in that moment. But can you imagine the peace that did exist later on, after the birth was behind them, after the infant had been cleaned and was ready to begin to try to feed from his mother. Imagine as Mary held that baby for the first time to feed him. To Mary and Joseph's knowledge, they were the only people on the entire planet that knew what happened that night. And they're left there alone to dwell and think about the hope that this promise from God was indeed the Messiah. That this baby was somehow going to be the Savior of the world. He was going to be able to be the one to restore Israel and bring salvation to the Gentiles. But how? Mary and Joseph had no special skills, no special training. They were not people of wealth. 
They were not people of power. They were not people of influence. How would this baby grow up to be the one spoken about by the prophets through all the ages? The mystery, the wonder, just thinking about how God might accomplish this through this baby. And while you're pondering all of that, sitting there imagining this reality that God has chosen you to be a part of this plan. Now, as they sit there and they're thinking about all of this, there had to have been doubts. There had to have been uncertainty. As Mary and Joseph are caring for that newborn son that night, the night would have continued on and on and on. Were other people stopping by? Did they hear the sounds of childbirth? That is not a quiet process. And wonder? Did Mary and Joseph remain alone to just dream about what this child would become as he grew? How about God? What was he up to on that particular night? Well, we know he didn't just sit around and do nothing. He had some plans in store for the evening, didn't he? That very night, instead of making this grand proclamation across the entire globe, because keep in mind, when Jesus returns the second time, everyone will know it at the same time. He could easily make that announcement, but he did not. Instead, God chose to literally whisper to the world this news about his son. He, he chose these humble shepherds out in the middle of nowhere, outside of town, to share this news with. Shepherds just minding their business, showing up for another day of work, nothing unusual at all. They were not seeking a savior on that night. They were not looking for their Messiah. I really doubt they were conversing about such things on that evening. It was a night just like any other, until, like everyone else, they were scared to death. They're just hanging out with sheep all alone in the darkness outside the city like they do every night. And then out of nowhere, the glory of the Lord shines all around them. And one of God's angels shows up. And yes, you, like they, are left terrified, speechless and in awe and wonder of this heavenly being that has just arrived. Again, they weren't seeking the Lord that night. They weren't a part of some reality show out exploring, trying to make contact with messengers of God. No, they were just doing their job. Grown, tough, hardened men, now likely on the ground, face first, trembling with fear at the sights and sound of their heavenly, this heavenly event that's unfolding before them. Well, the angel, the angel has the script. They know the routine. Every time they're sent, everybody's scared. Hey, don't be afraid. You know the drill. I wonder, I wonder if angels ever got tired of that. Could just one time we show up and you humans not be scared of us? That would be awesome. I just wonder. I just, I'm just curious if they have those thoughts. Probably not, just me, but still. The angel definitely had the ears of the shepherds that night, didn't he? I'm sure that one little voice, that message, that one message of this good news that will cause this great joy for all people in that little old town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. The Messiah, the Lord is here. They were definitely wondering, is this true? Is this reality? But the thing is, did you notice there's no explanation? The angel didn't go into this big, long dissertation of who this Messiah was, of what they're, ex it seems as if the shepherd's like, oh, well now, we've heard of that. We, we're okay. That's curious. Somehow they knew 
He's talking about the one that's going to fulfill all these prophecies. Somehow they've been educated as to these things, and now they're wondering, hmm, are you serious? Is, is this true? These common men knew about this hope. Were they themselves dreamers? Maybe. Maybe the oppression of the Roman government had caused them to, to relive these ancient prophecies and wonder when this moment would come and be fulfilled. Or, like so many others, did they think the time would never, ever come to pass? As the angel shared this news with them, what do you think was their first reaction? They seemed to have recovered from their initial terror, but was it convincing? When the angel got to the point of, okay, now you're going to go find him, and here's your sign. You're going to find a baby. He's going to be wrapped in strips of old cloths. And, oh, by the way, he's lying in a feed trough. Now, at that point, you're, you're a part of this huge, glorious, heavenly event, and then they get to that, and you're like, wait a minute, okay. So the Messiah, the Savior, the, the, this incredible one that's coming to rule us all is a baby. All right, we can deal with that. But in a manger? I'm assuming they're straw in that manger? What, what, why, well, huh? Wrapped in cloths, he's not in some special place? Wouldn't you have thought that to be a bit odd? The glory of all of heaven comes down to share this news with you. This grand proclamation filled with this incredible praise. All of these heavenly hosts. Can you imagine what that sounds like? Probably not, because I sure can't. The whole scene is filled with incredible wonder and amazement. And yet, oh, did I mention? Yeah, you're going to find him in a barn, <laughs> lying in a feed trough, wrapped in some old cloth. Uh, would you be wondering at that point, is this thing real? Or are we just having some mass hallucination where we're all experiencing the same thing at the same time? which is pretty far-fetched for sure. There's one little thing here. There's something missing in Luke's timeline. Luke doesn't tell us how long this all took. We have no idea how long this interaction with the angels actually was. You, you keep in mind that Luke's gospel is a recorded series of events, and he did so meticulously by going and getting interviews with people that had first and likely second-hand information about every single event that he recorded in his gospel. This isn't hearsay. This is absolute certainty with, he, he probably even before he wrote it compared stories to make sure that they matched up and made sense. We don't know where he got his information for this part of his gospel. Some speculate that it could have been Mary herself that shared this information with Luke. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? It might have been a relative or a descendant of one of the shepherds that were there that night. Imagine the family story passed down in those families of those shepherds year after year. We don't know how long this encounter took. Was it a few short moments? Did the angels come and go away as quickly as they came? Or was it a grand production? Now, the Savior did not enter the world through great fanfare and a huge celebration. We know that. He entered the world via the humblest of circumstances possible. But, but the declaration of the heavens, of his arrival, was a different story. Remember, even the angels didn't know when this was going to happen. They'd been waiting for this for a very long time. They could not see the future. And so we have to understand that when they brought the information, when God told them, tonight is the night, go and tell folks about this event that is happening, you know they were excited to share this information. This was all getting underway. God's great rescue plan was now moving forward. And they, they have been chosen to spread this word to all of humanity. Have you ever thought about it from their perspective? I challenged you last week with that same thought. I had not until I began writing this series. Interviews with angels aren't often recorded in the Bible. There's just a few 
circumstances. But they too had been wondering since the fall of man when Jesus would begin this process. And they don't know this process. They don't know how it's going to play out. They don't know that Jesus ultimately is going to sacrifice his life for all of humanity. This will all be news to them later on as well. But now it was time. They began to speak. They began to sing. If the shepherds, by chance, were not convinced by that one angel that showed up first to share the news, at this point, when everyone else shows up, I think they were. Were there a hundred angels there that night singing these praises to God? Were there a thousand angels there that night? Were there 10,000 angels there that night? Were there a million, million, million angels there that night? Because there could have been. Think about the wording what does a great company of heavenly hosts mean? If you were an angel in heaven and you found out this party was happening right now in heaven, what would you have wanted to do? I'm in. Let's go. I said before service, I wonder if every single angel in all of heaven were part of this heavenly host. And if so, what did that look like? <laughs> Undescribable. The shepherds were left to respond. After all they'd seen and heard, should they indeed follow through? If it was real, they couldn't help but go and check. Us men were very curious people. We would have to go, okay, I got to go see. Is this legit? Is this for real? Is this really happening? So they went in search. The description was so unusual, there was no way they could probably miss the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a feed trough somewhere in all of Bethlehem. No one puts a baby in a manger. It doesn't happen. Bethlehem was a very small town. Now, we don't know its exact size. Different scholars will tell you different things. Some suggest it was as small as 300 people, small village. Some people suggest it was as big as 1,000. So in our frame of mind, think of it somewhere between Carbon and Clay City. Population, only much less spread out. Everybody much more compacted together. They would have had some divine inspiration as well to find that correct spot. So I don't think they could have gotten lost because we know they wouldn't have stopped and asked for directions if they had right? Did they speak to each other on the way? Or were they just dumbfounded, just silent as they hurried toward the town of Bethlehem? That's all we know. They hurried off. What could they possibly have been thinking of on their way there? What would they actually see? They would be the first human beings to ever encounter the Messiah, other than, of course, Mary and Joseph on that night, the savior of the world, the long-awaited king of Israel. Can you imagine their anticipation for their arrival? But then Luke does something else quite odd. He doesn't tell us what happens when he gets there. When all the shepherds arrive, we don't know how many there were, by the way. We, when they get there to the baby, there's no information. Luke does not share with us anything that happened in that moment, we know they believed the angels because they immediately spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds had said. The shepherds returned back to their jobs, back to their homes, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The story is so incredible, but it's so believable. The shepherds' lives were changed forever in that moment. <laughs> but Luke doesn't record what happens when they find Mary when they find baby Jesus. But we know something did because of the words that Luke does record. All he records are the thoughts of Mary. After experiencing these things, he writes these words, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know what another good word for pondered is? Wondered. 
wondered about them, thought about them, dreamed about them. Did the shepherds share with Mary and Joseph everything they had seen and heard that night? Surely they did, right? Were they able to describe the magnitude of this heavenly celebration? Were they speechless before their newborn king? We would like to assume these men would come and share with them, but when they saw everything that happened there, they came here, they saw this baby, everything was exactly as they said. Have you ever been speechless? Because that's a possibility for these grown men. Something happened that left everyone in awe and wonder that night. And whatever they left with Mary, she treasured for the rest of her life, wondering who exactly this child would become, how somehow he could not only save the Jews, but ultimately the entire world. Hopefully you can sense the wonder of Christmas in its simplicity. In our world today, it takes us a lot to be entertained. We don't just get entertained by little things anymore. It, it takes big, extravagant productions. And as a matter of fact, when something's really simple, most people in our culture will complain because it's so pure and so simple and so innocent. They need a big, grand thing. This was a very, very simple, intimate moment. The dreams that existed throughout the history of all of God's people, the anticipation of this moment arrive, and then it happened. The result, well, over the course of Jesus' life, thousands upon thousands of people did follow him. But we know, as is the truth today, a majority of people never did. Many of those that follow Jesus fell away as the teachings got harder. Still more fell away as their dreams of who this Messiah they thought was coming began to be revealed. Uh, they weren't interested anymore. Still others fell away in sorrow as the man that they put their hope and their trust and their belief in was left to die on that cruel cross. Their belief was stolen from them. And what seemed like the greatest tragedy ever recorded, a perfectly innocent man sentenced to die in the cruelest of ways for what? Well, simply for the protection of a corrupt system to keep the peace between the Jews and the Romans, to allow the direct oversight of the Jewish people to continue, for those in power to maintain control and power, because after all, who really needed a Messiah or a Savior anymore? But did anyone remember the other prophecies? Did anyone remember the other words that Isaiah recorded from God? Did anyone recall that the events that unfolded over the course of Jesus' life were fully predicted to happen to him? He was to be a suffering servant and more. Famous messianic prophecies from Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 3. He, Jesus, was spised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced 
for our transgressions, he, that baby in that manger on that night, would grow to be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth as innocent as the day he was born. Yet he was, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors before he bore the sin of many and many intercession, made many intercession for the transgressors. Did anyone remember this is what was to become of Jesus? This is why he chose to come as a baby in a manger. This and more must happen to him in order for him to accomplish his mission. In order for him to fulfill his role as savior of the world, he must make the ultimate sacrifice. For this is the only way he could save you and me. <laughs> the wonder of Christmas. The reality that the creator of the universe would come in the humblest of ways, live the sacrificial life of a servant, teach in opposition to the very people who should have known and been practicing every one of his ways, only to die at the hands of the ones who were allegedly awaiting his arrival, only to live, which then is the hope of all the nations, the hope of you and the hope of me. The hope that we must share with everyone we come in contact, not just this time of year, but oh no, every day God gives us. Believers, may we never, ever lose that wonder. Seekers, may the Spirit of God move within you to believe. Can you feel that pulling you, stirring you, moving you closer to Jesus and belief in Him? He came for you. Don't ever, ever forget that. Will you respond? It's up to you. Well, the wonder of Christmas, when that is fulfilled, it is fulfilled in the acceptance of Jesus. The sacrifice that he made for you when you come to know him, this wonder of Christmas is all fleshed out and its purpose is then absolutely fulfilled in your coming to him. <laughs> Can we stand in awe as we see the mangers, whether physically or just in our mind's eye, the place where Mary and Joseph laid that infant Jesus, I want you to consider and realize that lying there wasn't just a baby. <laughs> lying there was the 
Christ, the Messiah, the bread of life, the author of life, the creator of the universe, the good shepherd, the great high priest, Emmanuel, God with us, the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the way, the truth, and the life, the son of the living God is lying as a baby in that manger. For man, adoring a baby in a manger really isn't such a hard thing to do that any of us that have ever been in the infant unit at a hospital have walked by that window, have we not? It's easy to look in and see those precious young ones. But bowing in reverence to a holy and righteous king who will reign in righteousness and justice for all eternity requires us to realize our need for just such a king in our lives. And people are a lot less willing to admit that. So as we come to this time in our service where you have an opportunity to respond first and foremost to the good news of Jesus who is coming living, dying, and resurrecting on your behalf to save you from your sin. There's no better time than Christmas, as I said. If one would come to choose Jesus, this time, literally, the purpose, the mission of Christmas is fulfilled in your hearing the word and responding. That's why he came. But for many of us, we've accepted Jesus, and we've been beat down and lost that wonder of Christmas, that reality. And so my challenge to you would be to Come forward if you need that prayer, if you need to confess those sins before God and open those eyes to that wonder yet again. Maybe that happens between you and God because we're going to transition right into communion as well. And that wonder of Christmas, that wonder of that newborn baby is not lost because that wonder of Jesus' willingness to sacrifice his own life on that tree is what we will then be remembering. But not only did he sacrifice his life, but the wonder and amazement that it goes along with his resurrection that we again remember at this time. There's so much to consider and ponder and think about as we celebrate Christmas. And our communion that we take is a vital part of that celebration of what Jesus did for us. So in a few moments, those cups will be passed. And you will have a chance before your God and your king to respond with all filled wonder with what you're partaking of. Don't lose that moment. It's too important. Father God, as we celebrate this season, the coming of your son, I pray that our minds are literally blown by the reality of what took place. And Father, if we've somehow lost that wonder, then I pray it can be restored this very moment by your spirit. And that our attitudes toward this next week and toward our friends and families and strangers we meet along the way will be filled with the wonder that exists within our life as a result of your coming. Don't let us look like everyone else. Father, we have the spirit of you within us. If there's those that are hearing this message that have never accepted your son before, then let them know that this celebration that we're having this time of year was for them so that they could ultimately come to know you. And this is the moment you're choosing for that to take place and we're overjoyed at that response. And as the ushers come forward in a moment and communion trays are passed as we partake 
of the bread and we remember your body that was sacrificed for us. And we drink of that juice and remember your blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. May we never forget how that all began with that baby in a manger. And his intentional purpose to come so that these emblems could be realized. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you in our lives. And it's in your son's name who we're celebrating and we are praying. Amen.